Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. This week on Inside Supercars, we speak to three team managers and find out where the state of play is in supercars today. We also find out about their business, how they manage it, and whether Bathurst or the championship is more important to them and the team. I caught up with Tim Edwards, Barry Rogers, and also Nick Ryan, who are the managers for ProDrive Racing Australia, Gary Rogers Motorsport, and Nissan Motorsport during the Eastern Creek weekend. We started the conversation by asking them how different motor racing businesses are to regular businesses. Tim Edwards. It's just a big business, you know, we've got 70 staff, um, a lot of different departments, so you know, business is business and that's what most of my focus actually goes into is actually running the business as opposed to running a race team. You know, I, I employ a good team manager and a good chief engineer and a good production manager, all those, you know, leaders and they run their respective parts of the, the race team but but you know, I um my day-to-day job is really running a business. Nick Ryan, Nissan Motorsport. What we do to to any other business, I guess one thing that that is different is you know the um, the, the public eye that's uh, it's so visible. The results of our business and everything that we do, we're we're like the uh, you know a high-level public company in that respect. You know, all our results are there for anyone to see and scrutinise. So, I guess for a typical business, that isn't the actual fact. And you know, we have to answer to those results to the public, to our partners, to to everyone else on any given weekend when we go out um, but the intricacies or challenges of, of business I guess in what we do is is similar just in a different fashion for, for how that works and um, you know there's uh there's, there's certainly no shortage of challenges, but the great thing about this business is as well is we can certainly celebrate the success. Barry Rogers. Look, the general basics are all the same. I mean, to run any successful business, it's, it's about relationships and having good relationships with the people that obviously work for you, but then those that you look at to, to generate your income to, to run your business. Um, the thing with motorsport, I suppose, is you know it, it, it's more emotional than a, than a traditional type business. Um, so you do need to you know surround yourself with those that are emotional about it too to get the best out of everybody? Oh, it's, it's very, very difficult. And um, uh, unfortunately, you know, I've got a few people with a bit of a crude leave as well. But it's, um, look, you know, we have a two to three week shutdown at Christmas. So that, you know, obviously gives everybody a bit of a break there. And in fact, last year, I think most of the mechanics are off for four weeks. Um, so that was good. Um, we also try and take the opportunity during the season, you know, always try and have a mid-season um, sort of race team shutdown, you know, where, where they have a week off. So, you know, I haven't actually looked at next year's calendar to decide where I'll slot that. But, you know, for the last few years, we've been able to find a week that we could actually give them a time off mid-season. But, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. In terms of their other entitlements, sick leave, well, one of the challenges you find with this sport is that because the staff are so passionate about what they do, that they come in cold flu you know it looked like death and you actually have to send them home and say go away don't infect the rest of your teammates but you know they're dedicated to what they do and they don't want to let people down 
seconds. Yeah, it is, but uh, you know, it is what it is. You've just got to manage it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they get they get loo days for every Saturday and Sunday they work. Um, you know, I always try and force them to have at least the Monday off after a race, even if it's a local one, because generally people are pretty burnt out after a weekend's racing. You know, they're long days. You know, so they generally all have Monday off, and then you know, quite often they'll try and have you know a long weekend the following weekend, either the Friday or Monday off, depending on on workload and you know when the truck's leaving for the next round. But you know, it is a balancing act. You know, you, you've got to you've you've got to take your pound of flesh out of them but you've also try and got to give it back to them so you know it's always got to be give and take between both parties yeah yeah i mean you know the thing about leave too is it's not just about the the liability to the business it's also the health and well-being of your staff you know they work so incredibly hard you know events like this they're working till all hours of the night they're here very early just everybody's buying into the program we've got such a, a good uh group of people we've got very low turnover in this business that are all uh, single-minded on the progression that we want to do but at the same time you need to make sure they they get time away with their families and friends and whatever they have to do. Now when they can be legally paid it I believe I say the rules have been changed you can legally pay them certain amounts of leave per year so you know you try and not cash it out where you can but you know long term as people that you know might need a bit of hand up with some school fees or this and that and if they've had a bit of leave we'll always we're, we're pretty pretty good like that so yeah. Still to come on Inside Supercars with Tim Edwards, Barry Rogers and Nick Ryan. We hear about the next big thing they've got up their sleeves, what the schedule should be like and also car support in the motor racing sector. I hope you'll stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to up, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Yeah, yeah. Look, with with the sponsors, I mean, look, um, you're, you're right. I mean, your your budget you get together at the start of the year, and it depends on your deal with your, with your sponsors. We sort of work on that. We get paid quarterly from most of our sponsors, so you sort of drip feed throughout the year. Um, working out your bu- budget for the year, look, it, it, it is difficult in a sport like this because there are a lot of unforeseen things that do happen in regards to to you know crashes and thing, things like that. Fortunately, in recent years, uh, we haven't experienced uh, too much unexpected type um, um, damage. Um, look. You, Probably like any business that um, you know employs a number of people. I mean, our biggest expense really is our is our staff. I mean, we employ 35 people, um, so really half of your budget really is your staff. Um, and you look, you know, you can work out your travel, your accommodation, all those sort of things throughout the year, and then work about bu- building a couple of cars. You know, it's it's, it's funny that building the cars is probably the cheapest part of it all. So um, yeah, but it is, it is difficult. I mean, to get sponsors to to see, you know, look, it's big money and, and to, um, to get them to commit and invest in you, it's not an easy job. No, definitely not. Yeah. Is there similarities between the football codes, car racing, soccer, those sorts of sports? Yeah, look, there's, there's obvious differences in what we do, but there's, there's obvious similarities. I mean, the, the structure of racing is certainly different to, to AFL codes and, and the way the funding model works. Um, if you if you look at that sport, there's um, a lot of assistance from, say, the AFL, a lot of assistance from AFL. So much of their financial budget is uh, derived from membership revenue, 
uh, where you look at our sport and so much is, is driven by commercial revenue. So there's, there's different weighting to how that works. There's certainly different governance in those sports and uh, you know, and boards and the fact those clubs are owned by members and things and these are privately owned. So um, th- there is absolutely different structures, but of course there's similarities between every sport in, in what we do. How important or how critical is it then to find those other medium partners, smaller partners throughout the year to kick yeah. in yeah. to help balance cash reserves. Yeah, it is. Look, you're, you're right there. I mean, look, your major naming rights type sponsors who tip in the big big chunk of the money um, are very, obviously very, very important, but it is those probably, call it 10 mid to smaller range, and you don't talk smaller range in the fact that, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 isn't a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but those ones that, that, that put that in with... Um, either you know product and cash or a mixture of product and cash so important for your for your, for your business to to make it happen and i mean um it sounds funny that the real big one to get probably is nearly the easiest it's getting all those little ones together underneath to to make it happen and and look and and, and the expectations of some of those ones that invest smaller because some of these companies that give you you know let's let's call, call a figure 50 grand you know um to them that is, you know, a huge investment. That investment is as much as it is the millions that the major ones give you, and and their expectations, what they get for their money, sometimes isn't much less than what the majors do. So it's a balancing act with your sponsors to make sure, um, you know, you've got to give them good value for money, make them feel like it's worthwhile to be in, and 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 do what you can to help them get business. I mean, we're very big, and Gary started it years ago, Velvel, and you know, we we're in the car dealerships, and he worked very hard on fellows that he knew and other dealerships to switch our oil brand to Valvoline. We work very hard with our sponsors, not just to grab their money and stick their stickers on the car. We really try and promote and, and do what we can to improve their business so they see it worthwhile dealing with us. I guess the AFL is very interesting because I don't think there's a team in the AFL that doesn't have a car company on their books. We can't say the same about motor racing. It's amazing, isn't it? When you look at it... Uh, this, this is the most obvious thing for manufacturers to be involved with because, you know, we're out there, we're racing the product and, you know, I often don't understand why that is absolutely the case. Um, you know, it, I guess it's just a marketing exercise when they do that with the, the AFL teams. But, again, you're not racing the product and, and I think the value to a, uh, a manufacturer in a sport like this significantly exceeds any opportunity they would have under that marketing exercise. Mm. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it, it has been... If you want to call it an issue, I'm not sure or a concern, but that um, that supercar racing in Australia, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of rules have been changed, a few things to try and attract more manufacturers. Um, I mean, it, it's difficult. I mean, it is such a fantastic sport. I mean, you, you don't get a touring car series in the world that is anywhere near as competitive as ours. I mean, you go and watch NASCARs that run around, you know, it depends which size track, but, you know, call it a 40-second loop and, and, you know, 20 cars there will be covered by a second. We can have 26 cars on a circuit with 16 corners and they're all covered by a second. So the sport itself is is absolutely sensational. But to to get global brand, you know, I mean, all motor motor companies now are global. I mean, Australian stuff's gone. As much as we're still making a couple of cars in Australia, that's about to end. I mean, to get global manufacturers... To want to invest to be in a sport that is so micro in the in the world scheme, it's very very difficult. I mean, um, and look, we'd, I don't think we need to be going down the GT car category. I know a lot of people think look at these GT cars and think it's fantastic, but people still get sick of watching Porsches and Ferraris and Lamborghinis. It's all great, but you can't really relate to them. Our cars, people can relate to, and I think. I think um, you know the angle that we take with the manufacturers needs to change a little bit to probably more a sponsorship level. Like you talk about in AFL, they sponsor a team. They don't necessarily get involved in running of it. 
in the past with supercars, we've, we've wanted manufacturers to, to be really involved in it. I think we need to sort of remove, remove that a bit and just maybe look for more sponsorship from a manufacturer, you know? Yeah. What's your estimation of where the sport's position and where the sport's sitting? Growth phase, steady, uh, decline? I think the uh, the sport is extremely healthy, and I mean that genuinely. I think uh, there's been a lot of great decisions uh, about where the sport is headed. Um, you know, certainly um, cementing the national fa- uh, the the national rounds that that we have in place, and also looking at new regions to to where we can move in the future. And you know, there's been a lot of open discussion about what that is. I think the transition to to look at overseas racing is positive. You know, it's not to the detriment of local rounds. It's in it's in addition, and um, you know that that's for the final financial uh, elements of, of racing and, and support of teams you know that's essential because you know we need to find new revenue we need to find new models it's a highly competitive industry sport in Australia there's there's probably more sport per per capita than than any uh, than any country in the world so the fact that we can enter these new markets and look to trade relations there but also from a fan base it's highly accessible broadcast it's quite close in times I think that works very well I think the um, the figures that we're seeing out of the broadcast the, the the partnership with Fox is you know it certainly reinforces what's uh, what's happened there and there's there's only a growth tra- trajectory to continue and and that's been extremely positive and and there's still a great broadcast coverage on Channel 10 in in what's going on in support of the category probably far exceeding what we previously had through the seven model and um, you know all that's uh, that's pretty exciting I mean you know there's been some changes in manufacturers and things like that but I think the sport's pretty robust and and can get through you know any of those immediate short-term challenges and I think long-term things will be positive Um, the best thing of all is you look at the racing product I don't think the racing's ever been this good you've got more or less half a second to a second that covers the entire grid at most of the events that we go to so from a fan perspective you're seeing bloody good racing the, the, the supercar businesses itself, if you said supercars as an entity, is very strong. There's a lot of interest. I know the Malaysian thing didn't happen last year. There was issues that happened there, but there, there is a lot of interest and a lot of money from overseas facilities that want to get us to race here. Now, we've got to be careful with that in regards to you don't want to just you know dump your own backyard, but we are looking for global support to keep the business. You know, As individual teams, we need global companies to support us for it to happen. It's not going to work off the back of Australian companies. You know, We need global companies, and if you need global companies, you need to put yourself in front of you know, not, not tens of millions of people. You need to put yourself in front of hundreds of millions of people. And you know, you go to races like Malaysia or things like that where you've got populations you know, of a couple hundred million people, I think you know, as much as you'll get the knockers about that sort of thing, I think if we are to survive and be strong into the future, that we need to do that. I mean, the, the weakness with our sport when you talk about sponsorship before is we've always attracted the same sponsors, you know. They seem to rotate up and down pit lane. You know, you watch overseas motorsport, you'll get you'll get Kellogg's, you'll get, you know, McDonald's, you'll get Mars Bar, you'll get women's, you know, laundry products sponsoring NASCARs and all those sort of things. We don't we don't get it because we don't have the population to support it. So we need to get in front of the, the numbers, I think, that, 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 that brings that new level of sponsorship along, you know. So, um, so to answer your question, I think the sport itself, the supercars itself is strong. Individual teams amongst ourselves, look, it is a battle. There's no doubt, you know, you're getting the, the debits and the credits to sort of get themselves pretty close so you can continue doing what you do. It's not easy, but you've just got to keep working hard at it. Yeah. 
um, certainly on the commercial th- side of things, um, you know, we've got a pretty strong program. We've got a great suite of, of partners that are in the team, and you know, we continue to bolster that. Um, we've most of our partners are, have been here for a long time. A lot of them since we even started the team. So, you know, we work extremely hard on that and foster those relationships. And what you just mentioned there with the step up of Snap on this weekend, um, you know, in, into the future is is you know a great sign of a, a brand that's getting the benefit out of the sport. Um, it's a big brand. Snap on's you know biggest tool brand in the world, and the most premium brand in the world. Um, that's hugely exciting for us because you know. It's showing the return that they're getting out of the sport and the engagement with our team and, and what we can provide. So uh, all those things certainly help. I'd like to think it's always in a growth. Um, you know, that's not to say we don't have our challenges, but you know, our, you know, our attendances are up. You know, our, our viewing figures are up. So you know, for me, we're we're trending in the right direction. You know, um, you know. Sports sponsorship, you know, that's always a challenge. It always has been, you know. From my almost 30 years in motorsport, I've seen it for years that, you know, attracting sponsorship for any sport is a challenge and it would seem every single year a new sport emerges that, that's got their hand out for, for, their, for, their, um, uh, for their involvement as well. So it's, um, you know, that, that, that's always a challenge. But I think, you know, for me, the sport's pretty healthy at the moment. Next up on Inside Supercars with Nick Ryan... Barry Richards and Tim Edwards. We look at how the schedule has been formed and if it's the right schedule for this championship as it stands, what it's meant to have KL cancelled this year and what would they do if they were James Warburton. I hope you'll stay with us. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. What's the next big thing that your team can do to improve your position in the competition? Well, from an on-track perspective, you know, we're pretty clear. I think that's a good thing for us. You know, we've taken um, some, some very strong inroads to uh, our progression on the racetrack, and that's just not technically, that's operationally. You know, we, we undertake a significant amount of analysis to, to look at improvements about where we next need to go, and, and you know, it, it can be seen, everything from our pit stops to, you know, the visual aspects, but behind the scenes, I can promise you, there's a million other things going on. But also, in some areas, we need to improve the car. We're very clear on what we need to improve. Um, we're not shaking our heads and, and sorry scratching our heads and sitting there going what's next and we are very clear on, on what we need to do to help push forward and, and get to where triple eights of the world are I mean we didn't have a good day yesterday but every other track we've been to this year we've had a car in the top five so we've shown we're having um, some strong performance at most tracks except we're not getting that consistency across our cars so you know we really need to improve there I think um, off track we're doing a pretty strong 
strong job commercially in, in terms of support and working with business partners and interaction with the fans. I think that's bubbling along really well. We've got some new innovations and things to come, and you always need to be thinking differently. I mean, this sport is about engagement, and I think we provide pretty strong engagement with the Nissan model. So those things are bubbling along. We've just got a, a few more things that we're working on and planning on which will help progress the cars further forward and, and really help us to start contending for uh, for championships. And Good question. I mean, well, you've got to be working on something. You can't be sitting Oh, I mean, hands. we're never sitting still. You know, we're, we're always developing, you know, that, but I'm not going to talk to you about what those bits are we're developing at the moment. I mean, our goal is to win the championship again. You know, we want to win Bathurst again. We want to win the championship again. And so everything that's going on behind the scenes is all for that goal. Um, you know, and there's a whole host of things going on in the background. You know, many, many things. So... You know, nobody in this championship sits still. You know, you sit still and you're left behind pretty bloody quickly. To, to, to continue to improve, it, it is all about your people, just keeping getting good staff, keeping a strong group of people together. Look, the drivers are certainly important, and, and having Scott move on at the end of this year, that's that's going to be a challenge for us. I mean, you don't just pick Scott McLaughlin's off trees, but, you know, Gary's got a pretty good record of finding young drivers that seem to get the job done, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll overcome that hurdle. Well, I think the... You know, for us as a team, I mean, the Volvo issue is an issue. Um, as we've stated publicly, our plan is that we'll still be running Volvos next year. We've got a couple of little hurdles to overcome to get that to happen, but we, we, we see that as being done. Um, so 2018 is a year we're probably looking at down the track, and, you know, you really need to look at... I mean, the V6 twin turbo thing is going to be a big thing, I think. Um, so, you know, we're at the moment... You know, we're talking. We are talking to manufacturers. I mean, it's only very early stages, but we've got a, we've earmarked a couple of cars that we see out there in the marketplace or coming close to the marketplace that we see as being cars with a good aero type setup. We've got a good handle on the design of a car, and the aero part of the car is a big part of it. Um, so we picked a couple of shapes we think suit our category. Um, so we're picking the right car, no doubt, makes the job a lot easier. You know, so and when you make those decisions about, all right, that aero shapes good. Yeah. Do you then have to look at their motor? Yeah. Or uh, uh, is that generic engine going to be a part of the future? No, I, I don't think the generic engine will be part of the future. Um, I think if, if, if you want to manufacture it to, you know, if you can convince a manufacturer to, to get take part in the series, I don't think manufacturers are keen on having their body shape with a generic engine. And, you know, the, you mentioned before about the DNA. Um, the manufacturers do like the DNA in the cars. And the new rules are really probably give you more of a chance now to have more DNA of a, of a manufacturer in a car because I mean, if you look at the Chev, the current Chev engine, the current Ford engine, I mean they're race built engines, they're nothing to do with a road car engine um, our Volvo engine, yeah look, it's loosely based on a road, it's, it's, it's straight out of it, well when I say straight out of it, it was running an XC90 and an S80 sedan of course it's been highly adapted to compete in this series, the Nissan engine again is out of a Nissan Patrol and it's been adapted but at least Nissan, the Nissan engine and the, and the Volvo engine are road engines that are being converted to, to race engines so the DNA's there. The V6 twin turbo thing really does allow you, basically, I mean, there's V6 twin turbos out there in the market with 400-odd horsepower off the rack. To build them up to sort of 600-plus isn't a... You don't have to change them a lot, you know. Um, you know, more electronics and, a, you know, maybe, you know, stronger cranks and a few bits and pieces, but not major changes from the original DNA of the engine. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but <laughs> we're getting there somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Shock absorbers has been a big, a big thing... Is there some technical developments in a general thing rather than a, an individual thing that are going to save money, improve performance, those? <laughs> save money <laughs> in motorsport. 
That'll never happen. No, nice thought. Oh, look, I mean, well, unfortunately, I hate to say, nothing we're working on at the moment is about saving money. Every single thing we're working on is how do we go faster. Well, you know, that's our sole focus. Oh, look, I think at, at this point with the competitiveness and you see how close everything is, it, it is incremental. You know, you're not going to suddenly see us go from, um, you know, sixth to first every weekend. It just doesn't work like that. The category's too close. Everyone's cars are, are close enough as it is. You know, we are working on big projects that will help us move forward, but uh, there, there will be incremental gains that, that happen over there. You know, there's, there's no, uh, you know, golden egg sitting in the corner that we uh, were about to... To, to harness and, and, and move everything forward at a significant rate of knots. But the path that we've been on is is, is strong and, uh, you know, those improvements are coming and we're showing that. So I think, you know, with what our plans are, we've certainly showed we know what we're doing. Now the schedule, it's about to come out again for 2017, but how is it? Does it need a major revamp or does it need some some serious tweaking? Because running a business... And trying to fit a February to December season in, yeah. have staff take leave, have all those other things that need to happen, it's it's very, very difficult when it's an 11-month of the year. Yeah, it is. It is really difficult. But I think this, the category's taken the right steps, you know, last year about condensing the calendar, you know, trying to race every couple of weeks. I know we've had a break now with what went on with KL, but that was just unfortunate for what it was. It actually allowed teams to reset and get ready, and we tested early and all those things that have helped us for the Enduro. So it worked out. But uh, I think... Um, for what James and his team at BH Supercars have done with the with the calendar is is absolutely the right move. There's always those continued talks about condensing it, and I think the sport needs to do that further. You know, it just needs to be a little bit tighter. If we can get to a 10 month season, I think that's that's about the right plan because we do have those challenges. You know, giving people time off when you run a business like ours where you've got 60 full time staff and and you undertake every aspect of you know design through development, operations, production, everything. Um, it's very difficult to find time to get people out of there, and you know the that the, that liability that hangs over the business with leave and all those things is, is really challenging. So, um, you know, if, if we can tighten that up a little bit more, um, but I think for, for what they're doing at the moment about condensing that calendar already, um, meaning we've got the consistency on track, that will just allow some of those things to work better at the back end. Yeah, look, I mean, I, personally, I don't think that the schedule needs much. I think we try, we, you know, we need to try and finish maybe a little bit earlier, you know, just to try and free us up because you know if we can finish sort of mid-November time you know it allows us to um, you know do a little bit of preparation for the new year um, before we break for Christmas so you know that would help um, a huge amount but you know we'll wait and see what the what the calendar is like but you know I think you've always got that challenge between you know criticism that you're not regular enough and the fact that well you know to be that regular with you know the group of people that we take away you know you may well burn them out if you just said right you know what we're going to race every two weekends for 40 straight weeks apart from the fact that that would add up to a lot more races (laughs) and we would run out of racetracks in this country um yeah i think you'd struggle with uh with with staff more than anything so and i'll be up front here my opinion is it's all the the whole schedule's wrong i think i think we should start racing i I believe Sandown should be our first race, believe it or not. I think we should start racing it in September. That should be our first race, and we should finish at Easter, you know, which is the complete opposite of what we, we sort of do. I think we should be racing all through the summer months. We should have Friday night racing where it's light to 9 o'clock, and you can be racing at, you know, you can be on TV, people find their barbecues up at 7 o'clock, and the supercars are on tally. So I, I think the whole schedule 
needs to be turned around now. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but if, if you know, um, I think the sport would thrive if we could be racing through summer. When people are on holidays, you could be down at Phillip Island racing in January. You got everyone on the island. You could have camping bands. You could do a whole lot of things. Um, so I, I would love to see the whole schedule turn around now. Unfortunately, with contracts with government, with you know, you've got to commit to certain school holidays at certain events. Um, there's a whole lot of things that that complicate doing something like that. Um, so it's probably pie in the sky type thing. But I, I just think if we if we were a summer series rather than a winter series, and I know we're racing eleven months, we're sort of nearly both anyway. But um, but I think if we were predominantly summer series, I think would be a I think would be a real big boost for the for the, cha- for the championship. Still to come on Inside Supercars, we ask what would they do if they were James Warburton, and will Gen Two or Gen Three be the bigger revolution for supercars? I hope you stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. KL Race was cancelled this year and... Uh... My question isn't about whether that's good or bad. Well, it's bad. But it was cancelled. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, it was out of supercar's hands. I mean, um, there was a, um, political things going on over there that, um, you know, I mean, it, look, supercars are damned if they do or damned if they don't. If they didn't, didn't announce it when it was when it, when, it, when the event was going to happen, the deposit was paid that was asked for, KL wanted to announce to get publicity about it. So, of course, you've got to announce it. Now, it didn't happen from there. I mean, it, it's, it is unfortunate. It makes it... It reflects on supercars when it shouldn't. They did nothing wrong. So, but um, anyway, well, next year apparently it's happening. So let's see what happens. No, but my question really is, what did that provide your team? Was it an opportunity to reset? Was it a was it an added opportunity? Because you come off a long break yeah. before Hidden Valley. What what did that allow you to do that you possibly couldn't have done yeah. if you had to go overseas? Yeah, look, you're continually developing your cars. The engineers back at work and. To the people listening, I mean, you know, we've got an engineering group of, you know, six fellas sitting sit in a little office back at work and constant, consistently always designing bits and pieces and, and normally, you know, you'll, you'll implement those parts a bit here and there throughout the season. And because of the big break, we sort of pressed on a few upgrades that we are sort of looking at. We had a new upright on our cars and other, you know, layman's terms, little nuts and bolts that have been redesigned. So we forged ahead and got them all put together and, and uh, we're trying a few things in the car this weekend so we probably brought, brought forward a bit of the development that you might have then done held off to the end of the season just because of that big break yeah so with with the racing schedule and the way it's been for the the, the start of the year particularly when you run a four car program when you consider all the the parts servicing and management that you have to do the composites and you know panels and and you know even our guys have done a particularly good job of looking after the cars these years but you're just rubbing is racing you know you've got a, a lot of upkeep and things to manage so having that opportunity to reset and go into this busy part of the year you've got to be so well prepared for these enduros and you know that's everything from your co-drivers getting plenty of miles in the seat right up to the amount of spares and things just because um, it's the busiest and best part of this year so uh, that that break in in the gap has really allowed us to you know refresh for one but uh, analyze everything we're doing in the, in the preparation for the uh, the enduros onwards so I'd like to say that we're uh, we're extremely well prepared 
um, for, for what's about to come. And, uh, you know, I won't say it's a godsend, but uh, we made the most of it. Because we already had a, a you know a couple of nice breaks leading up to that anyway, so we'd already had our mid-season break. You know the shutdown I talked about earlier, actually before that anyway. So dropping the uh, the, the the KL round just allowed us to have a bit of a reset and you know, do a little bit more homework. Um, but it's not like you know the cars weren't prepared for this race any earlier. You know the, they knew when the truck had to be loaded, and that's when they were finished. So. You know, all you do is you just maximise the time at your disposal and the engineers think up another hundred ways to keep the mechanics busy <laughs> and that's just that's the way that, that that's the way we roll. Mm. Is Gen two or Gen three gonna be the next big thing? Well, to be honest at this stage we know so little about Gen three, you know, that's you know, I think Gen two certainly opens up you know, opportunities for manufacturers, you know, whether it's two door or different engine configurations, you know. I think it'll be a long, long time before you don't see a V8 racing in this category. So I think you know that, that that's that's an important point. Um, uh, and and two door cars, well, that'll just be you know if somebody chooses to go down that route, you know that's more an aesthetic thing than a than anything else. So you know you've still got to do the same aero parity testing. So you know I think uh, a two door Mustang would be a pretty cool looking race car. Well, some say you've already built it. Yeah, some say. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the new generation car, there was a fair bit of funding for that from the sale of the business. I think it's probably more a focus towards Gen 3, to be fair. I mean, Gen, Gen, Gen 2 um, you know, certainly paves the opportunities. And, and why, why I say that to some degree is I don't think anybody for the short term is really doing anything. Uh, I think next year you'll see a fairly consistent um, model for what's com- um, in competition this year. I think maybe from 18, there's a lot of suggestion. I don't know. I know as much as you do, but there's a lot of suggestion what other teams will do. But I think the, the rules will start to adapt from there about how that all works for the uh, for the future. So, um, you know, we're we're excited. You know, it's an evolution of competition. You know, the the program that we got with Car and Future absolutely reinforced that was the right thing for the sport because if they didn't do that, we wouldn't be standing here having this conversation. Um, you know the the fact we got new manufacturers, the fact we bought Nissan in, and the fact we had all this great competition that's come in, and now even the consistency that you've got across the field is fantastic. So James and his team have got a, a very good handle on that, and I think they're doing a uh, a terrific job for where that evolves. But that that next step is going to be pretty key, I think, for for where it goes. And we all know a lot about Gen two, but Gen three, I think, is you know different aspects. And and us, hopefully, if we continue with Nissan, um, you know, there's further considerations about how that plays out for us as well. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I mean, the Gen two rules, of course, were brought in to try to to bring. And uh, look, without the Gen two rules, you wouldn't have got Nissan, wouldn't have got Volvo. So you got to say it attracted two manufacturers in there that would never have normally got in there. Um, the Gen 3 rules, <clears throat> yeah, look, look, you'd like to think that they're going to have a bigger impact because obviously the impact of Gen 2 was there, but it probably wasn't as great as what was hoped. Um, so, yeah, you, you, I, I would think the Gen 3 rules will, you know, well, let's hope they have a bigger impact, yeah. yeah. To go, were Gen 2 a compulsory change, which it's not, but Gen 3 sounds like it might be on the uh, yeah, well, on the chats. We... Where do you find the funding for that? Well, until we know more about Gen 3, you know, who knows what the funding might be. If it's going to be, you know, if it's going to be significantly cheaper to fund, then 
you know, actually operationally going forward, then you know it's worth the investment. Gen when does that ever happen though? But well, yeah, but you'd like to think that was the plan beyond Gen three. But in terms of Gen two, well, you know, to turn, uh, we could make those cars a Mustang for next year if we wanted, just because it is only a skin. You know, everything mechanically under the car, and that's the advantage of when we went to the car of the future. That if you do want to change body configurations, do you want to put a Nissan on that or a Volvo on that or a Mercedes on that? It's possible because you know the mechanically and the you know the the, the frame that sits underneath that. You know, is universal. You know, the front suspension in that car is Pro Drive Racing Australia's front suspension, and that would be exactly the same front end, whether it had uh, a Nissan on it or a Mustang or anything else on it. So, you know, that's a, you know, when I say cheap, you know, it's a, a relatively easy exercise. Yep, change into a V6 twin turbo engine. That's a that's a big job. Yeah, I think the Holden side of things is pretty well, not completely clear but I think they've got their program in place for how Roland's going to actually uh, work with uh, with Holden to develop that and then support the Holden teams there um, you know there's a further discussion with us with Nissan about how that actually works out you know we we um, we uh, bore the brunt of a lot a lot of those costs in in the, in the initial phase of our development but you know we've got a unbelievably close relationship with Nissan and, and we'll foster that and work towards how that looks for the future and I guess the same for any other manufacturer coming into the sport and and that's one of the challenges that you sit there you know we we can fleetingly say we need more manufacturers in there but to actually develop a product that's competitive for racing that's the challenge that any manufacturer has looking from the outside because it's not you know, small pocket change to actually go and uh, prepare a car here. But the good thing and the advantage in a lot of respects is the model that, that a lot of teams have, you know, with the car of the future and the, the chassis and things is there and developed. You know, it's an aero consideration and it's an engine consideration in many respects. So there is a, uh, there is a way that these costs can hopefully be minimised, certainly more than what we in, um, went through with the, the original car of the future program. It's, it's, oh, I see where you're coming from with that, but I mean, I know you made a lot of stuff redundant, but it got sold down to DVS. You're, you're always upgrading things anyway. To, to Look, the car of the future definitely wasn't as, wasn't as cheap, I suppose, if you use those words as what everyone had hoped. I mean, things, you know, blew out a little bit, a little bit on the cost of that. Um, but funding Gen 3, well, yeah, look, uh, look, you know, you're not going to get it through the sale of anything because we're sold, you know, that you know, we're not going to sell the rest of what we've got. As you say, more, more likely it might come back, but... Um, um, you're gonna to have to do it through your, you know, through your sponsor group, through your, just through your own, own doing. I think I don't think there's gonna be some, you know, fairy godmother that's gonna come out and wave the wand and give us the money to do it. Yeah. More from Tim Edwards, Barry Rogers, and Nick Ryan right after the break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Were you James Warburton? What would be the one or the most important change you could make to supercars? You might have said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to be honest, if, if, if you sort of said you're starting from a, a clean slate, and that's always very hard, it's always easy to say do certain things, but there are commitments that are there and sign and contracts that are 
current, but it would be it would be changing the season. I, I just think that if you, you know, if the season was changed, and whether it's a you know whether it's a, a summer season like you said in Australia, then an international season that covers part of that other part of the year, maybe that's you know certainly an option. Um, but I, I think the calendar's the one thing that that if you said if there's one thing you change, I'd say the calendar. Yeah. That's a very good question. Look, I. I... I don't know if it's a, it's a, a dramatic change. I think James is taking the right steps. You know, I, I, I agree and support his move into Asia and and where they're looking. You know, KL's been there and uh, who knows what the future is for, for other rounds if, if they come online. But, you know, I, I very much support that and I think that's vital for the health of this business to, to do that. Um, you know, there's some big changes that need to be considered for uh, what is the evolution of supercars and, you know, fostering new manufacturers to come in and compete because like we started the conversation to talk about um, you know the, the challenges of now it's only Holden and you know we're, we're still waiting on our advice from Nissan for the future um, whilst it's hard to comprehend why there aren't more manufacturers in here we really need to assess why that is and what evolution the sport needs to have to help foster that because manufacturer support is is key to teams and you know with uh, with Triple Eight being the new factory team from from next year, and hopefully with our continuation, that really puts it down to two teams. Which, for I don't know how many there are, eleven or twelve or thirteen teams, that's not a healthy balance. So, you know, it's a great opportunity for us, but at the same time, more competition is better. So, uh, you know, I think James is certainly on the right path of what he's doing, and there's discussion about what the future is. But I think those considerations really need to be made about. What do we need to do? Because we're able to attract amazing commercial partners. You look up and down the grid and there's some phenomenal brands. But that key element, and like you say, the AFL teams, most of them have got these manufacturers. Well, they're, they're achieving something, right? Um, but uh, we need to figure out why and how we can get them into our sport pretty quickly. Got to be careful there. I don't want to push James under the bus. <laughs> um, well, he might be making this change already. You've he already may well it. be. He may well be. But don't forget, I do sit on the commission, so you know, I am involved in in a multitude of things. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'd change. Just I don't actually think we're in too bad a space at the moment. There's nothing that needs tweaking. Oh, there's there'd be a hundred things that needs tweak tweaking. Are they not big picture? But, but there's nothing. I don't think there's anything big that that needs a major revamp. You know, I think what we've got is a bloody fantastic category, fantastic racing. You know, you know, there's nobody in the t- in the pit lane doing a bad job. You know, even the bloke who qualifies 26th. You know what? That driver and that team are still doing a magnificent job because you know to be as close as they are. I mean, you know, every year it seems to get tighter and tighter. You know, every year you just you know you're explaining to people, well, you know, we're actually. We've qualified 15th and we're three tenths off off pole or some ridiculously small amount. You know, apart from oval racing, there's no other motorsport in the world that has, is that close. About the store championship, what provides you with a bigger return on investment? Ah, uh, return on investment? It's hard to say. I mean, both have huge value. Um, for me personally, I think Bathurst has greater value because if you did a straw poll of 100 people in the street and asked them who won Bathurst or who won the championship, I'd suggest the, the majority would know who won Bathurst but not the championship. So, you know, I think you know when you're in selling your team to a potential sponsor, saying that you won Bathurst last year would mean more to somebody who doesn't know our sport, which is, you know a large percentage of the people in the marketing departments of businesses around Australia. So, but they will have heard of Bathurst. 
Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, Bathurst as a standalone event is phenomenal value. I think if you go out and you're actually selling, uh, selling your year, your, your championship is, is what everyone would go for. But if you looked in isolation at Bathurst, it's one of the biggest events in Australia, and the return is almost equivalent to what you would achieve through a consistent year. Um, from a driver's perspective, I think they almost say Bathurst in many respects because uh, it is such a big and, and um, prestigious event. But uh, certainly as a business proposition in going out and selling it, championships is what everybody wants to see is that golden egg, and, and Bathurst really just forms a component of that. Yeah, I, I think... Um Look, obviously the championship goes over the whole year, um, and there's only the thing I always say for the championship. There's always obviously only there's only one person that can win Bathurst. There's only one person that can win a championship. But you get the Bathurst, and you're two two thirds of the way through the season. By that stage, there's probably you know there might be four or five guys that can still win the championship, but everyone can win Bathurst. So I think winning Bathurst is something that you always talk about later. You know, it's always oh we won Bathurst. We did. You know, talking about winning a championship, probably not so. Yeah, it's a personal thing. I would say winning, if you say, greater return is probably the championship, but the longevity, what, what means something years down the track, I think winning Bathurst. Yeah. I guess they all understand Repicon, and they all understand those figures that you're bringing in your package. Yeah, and you know, and I can walk in there and say, well, in 2014, Chas Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30, and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chas win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> Well, I think you know if the the Repicon valuations and the figures and the and the viewership is is strong, it's really strong. I mean, you know, I think we're, to this point this year we're twenty four percent up on last year in viewership, and from a fan perspective, if you look at the quality of the vision that they're getting, it is second to none. You know, it is outstanding, and they're always looking at ways to improve. You know, we work closely with them, as do a number of other teams, to figure out exactly what that is. So, for where we sit right now, I think that's a um, it, it, it's a great story for us to tell and you know when we go to market the Repicon figures or futures or any of those groups that, that do the independent research it's exactly that it's independent so um, you know it's, it's tried and tested and you know we stand on our own two feet against any other sport in the country. My thanks to Tim Edwards from Pro Drive Racing Australia, Nick Ryan from Nissan Motorsport and Barry Rogers from Gary Rogers Motorsport. Next week on Inside Supercars, we'll have a mega Bathurst preview. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.